Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph. And in this one, I am very, very excited for this episode. We have a ton of exciting and great topics to talk about. Red Sox, Fenway Park, opening day for the 2022 season. The Celtics will be facing the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs just like last year, and also I will be unveiling my full and complete mock draft 2.0 for the 2022 NFL draft. So we have some big topics to talk about today, and I really want to dive into each of them. The draft chatter will probably take up most of this episode. However, I refuse to be negligent on the big topics surrounding the Red Sox and the Celtics respectively. But hopefully you had a fantastic work week, school week, or maybe you're on vacation somewhere. Hopefully you had a fantastic week nonetheless and you're looking forward to the weekend up ahead. We've had some great weather here in the New England, Rhode Island area the past couple of days. So I am in such a great chippy and cheery mood. It just nice weather, springtime, Celtics in the playoffs, Bruins are upcoming their playoff series. Red Sox opening day or like opening weeks or so, you know, around that time. And then the NFL draft. Oh, you just can't, you just cannot get better than that right now. Obviously, you know, you kind of could, but you know what I mean? And the big Red Sox topic that I want to talk about is Xander Bogarts. What about him? Well, before the season started, the Red Sox did offer Xander Bogarts a contract extension. However, he did reject the extension and Bogart didn't want to negotiate anything once opening day has passed and now obviously it did last week there's going to be some silence revolving around that contract extension for Xander Bogarts and it appears there may be some silence for a long time because this contract extension that he was offered and rejected is quote a slap in the face one of his friends says in a report and I'm not going to read the whole report I just want to talk about the numbers the Boston Red Sox offered Xander Bogarts a four-year, $90 million extension. Okay, that's a starting point. However, right now he's making $20 million a year from his previous contract extension that he signed. It was like a seven-year deal with an opt-out after five years. And, you know, the, the opt-out's at the end of this year, as we know. 90 divided by four is an average of $22.5 million a year. Yes, it's a salary bump. Yes, it's a pay bump. However, Xander Bogarts 
is one of the best shortstops in this game. He's a top 25 pitch, uh, pitcher player in this game, not including pitchers. Uh, you could maybe even argue pitchers, and he's still in the top 25, I would say. I mean, he's had that kind of production the past couple of years. He's the leader of your clubhouse, and he's the current face of the Boston Red Sox. He is so vitally important to this team. I, I don't know if a dollar sign can put his importance, can like you know label his importance. Bogarts has been part of this system for well over a decade now. I mean, he came up in 2013, but he obviously was in the farm system well before that. It's just, you can't let Xander Bogarts walk, especially after what you what the fans and you went through with Andrew Benintendi being traded and then Mookie Betts for being traded. I cannot harp on this enough. I was okay with trading one, Betts or Benintendi, and re-sign the other. You trade bets, you got some prospects back, you know, turned into Alex Verdugo, pretty good player, Jeter Downs, hopefully, and then Connor Wong, hopefully. Okay, now go re-sign Andrew Benintendi since you traded away Mookie Betts. Nope, they trade away Andrew Benintendi, a fan favorite, both of those players, fan favorites. Gone, out the door. Okay, Red Sox suck a little bit in 2019 and 2020. And then they come back and have a fantastic season, recapturing the love and the heart of the fan base in 2021. And they have higher hopes, and the team itself has, I think, a higher ceiling this year than it did last year. Obviously, you know, taking most things into consideration, (coughs) pitching. So you can't let Bogarts walk. You just dished out $23, $24 million to Trevor Story. I would say, and I, Xander Bogarts is better, absolutely is better than Trevor Story and will be better for the next couple of seasons. You have to at least start at 25. Four for 100, five for 125. Like, I mean, I think that is the bare minimum that you have to start at because you cannot lose bets, Benintendi, Bogarts. And if Bogarts doesn't come back, you could probably count on Devers not coming back. Four of the game's top players, well, I mean, I, I don't think Benintendi's a top player, but Betts, Bogarts, and Devers are certainly top 25 players. Benintendi may be a top 100 player. But still, very good players, all homegrown, all of them you got rid of. How can me and you as a fan expect to fall in love with a team? with players and root for the players and emotionally and sentimentally invest in this team and the players when they keep getting rid of their best players. Everybody loved Mookie Betts. Got rid of him. Everybody loved Andrew Benintendi. We got rid of him. Everybody loves Alexander Bogarts. Oh, we'll get rid of him too. And then Devers, if Bogarts ain't here, he's just going to walk. So the importance of Alexander Bogarts is crucial. I think you can afford the dollar amount to pay him. He's giving you the offensive production. You have Trevor Story. So, yes, you do have a shortstop replacement. Yes, you do have a couple middle infielders coming up through the the pipeline. But none of them are Alexander Bogarts. And if he doesn't want to play shortstop, okay. All right. Sign him to the extension. And if things aren't working out after a couple of seasons, look to trade him then. So like I said, you got story for six, seven seasons. 
You got Marcelo Meyer, who will be up in a few seasons. Jeter Downs, who's trying to make it to the league. You got Nick York. Oh, who's the other guy? Nick York. Jeter Downs, Marcelo Meyer. There's one more middle infielder. Why can't I think of his name? Uh, Red Sox. Prospects. Who? Nick, why can't I think of the other name? Oh, man. This is, this is going to kill me. This is going to eat me away. Who is the other player? Not Nick York. Not Matthew Lugo. Huh. That, I guess... I guess it's just those two that I was thinking of. I swear I was thinking of someone else, too. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, you just can't afford to do it. You can't. You absolutely cannot afford to do it. Because like I said, if you don't bring back Bogarts, you're not going to bring back Devers. Devers has already said that he wants to play. He will st- He will sign an extension, or he won't sign an extension until Bogarts signs his extension. Fair. I get it. Oh, Blaze Jordan. He's not a middle infielder, but you also have him coming up too. You, I just, you can't afford it. <clears throat> you cannot afford it. Like, when I say you can't afford it, you can't afford to lose them. Like, you can pay them. You can absolutely afford to pay them. I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about this? I know I'm trying to, I'm, well, not trying to. I am opening up this episode very strong, very stern and heated with this Bogarts discussion because I'm, like, you, you low-balled Mookie Betts, and I'm glad you didn't sign him to the deal that he got with the Dodgers because I think that's just dumb money, and I don't think he's worth that kind of money. But what do you guys feel? Or Do you want Alexander Bogarts to resign? Do you want him to just walk at the end of 2021 if he does decide to opt out? Or do you want the Red Sox to just trade him in the middle of the year and just get something back because they know they're not going to be able to resign him? Me, personally, you know my thoughts and opinions. Resign him. I think that's what you need to do. It has such a bigger ripple effect than we see on the surface of just having Xander Bogarts play shortstop for the Red Sox. Again, current face of your franchise. He is part of the heart and soul of your lineup. He gels well with the locker room. He is like the foundation in your locker room. He's brought out the best in a lot of players. Devers, big example. I mean, Alex Cora has really resonated with Alexander Bogarts, and Bogarts is like an extension of Cora now. He just does way more for your team than just playing second uh, shortstop for the Red Sox. But let me know your thoughts and opinions about this topic. Leave those down in the comment section below if you're listening on YouTube, or you can reach out to me via social media, at Murph's Card Town, on, so- uh, on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Let me know your thoughts and opinions about this topic and matter. Because I do want to know where the fan base is. I've heard a bunch of different opinions from people. Resign him. Trade him. Let him walk. I've heard it all from people. So I want to know your thoughts and opinions about this. As you know mine and that is Extendum. Start at 25. See what that can get you. 25 for 4. 25 for 5. And just kind of go from there. But Red Sox do have opening day today. And I'm very, very excited. They did... Oh, they were able to turn around a little bit. Excuse me. They were able to turn around a little bit in Detroit as they were playing the Detroit Tigers. They did lose the first one, three to one, and then they won the next two on Tuesday and Wednesday, five to three and nine to seven, respectively. Bullpen still an issue. 
the rotation is still an issue. But today, I just want to focus on opening day. Red Sox, game, first pitch, 210. Just in a couple of hours. Red Sox opening day at Fenway Park is so, so special. It's so enlightening. It's so joyful. It's just hard to put in words. I've never been to Fenway Park on opening day. So I don't know the in-person emotions and feelings behind it. But watching it on TV, talking about it, it just puts you in a good mood. I just opened up this episode with a heater of a topic in the Alexander Bogarts discussion of resigning, trading, releasing, or not releasing, letting him walk. But now look how calm I am. Look how calm I've become. Red Sox have four games against the Twins today, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Monday is the Marathon Monday, and that game is at 11:10. Another glorious day here in Boston, Massachusetts, New England area. Getting baseball at 11 in the morning while thousands upon thousands of people are running in a 26.2-mile race? Oh, you just can't beat it. You can't beat it. And I know today is the anniversary of the marathon bombing. So I do kind of want to dial the excitement back in just a moment. And just, you know, I talked about it on Monday with the whole Dwayne Hashkins thing. You know, make sure you tell your loved ones that you love them. Make sure you tell the people that mean the most to you how much they mean to you. You know, it, it takes a couple of seconds. And it'll make the other person feel good. I don't want to turn this episode into a sappy sorry episode. You know, how I started with Dwayne Hashkins on Monday's episode. But just take a moment before you leave the house. Kiss your significant other. Hug your children. You know, send a text message to one of your friends. Like, hey, hope you're doing well. It doesn't take much effort. Because you just never know what's going to happen. You just never, never know. Whether it's a tragic accident like Dwayne Hashkins, rest in peace. Whether it's a horrific horrific major event and such as the boston marathon bombing you just never know and it could be anything in between so take the extra seconds and just let those that care or let those that you care about the ones you love treasure friends family close ones pets doesn't matter who it is just let them know how much they mean to you and how much you love them how much you care for them and today, and today's a tough day. As exciting and joyous as it is here in the New England area, it's still a tough day of what happened nine years ago. Nine years ago. Holy smokes. It's been a long time. It has been a long, long time. I remember I was watching the marathon, and I was like flicking back and forth between the marathon and the Red Sox game because obviously they were on at the same time. And I got to, you know, the marathon. I was watching. I was like, all right, let me go to the Red Sox game. And I'm watching the Red Sox. And then I get a notification like from ESPN on my phone. Uh, it was like one dead, 30-something injured in Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, obviously, like more details to come. It's like, wait, what? Is this like uh, an event within an, an – uh, wait, what? Dead? Injured? No. Is this like is this supposed to be like a like a history thing like fifty years ago something like this happened so we're just like recollecting on it 
And I'm like, so I tune back in and it's just talking about the marathon bombing. I'm like, oh my God, this is serious. And then like, again, another one's like two dead, 67 or 60 something injured. It's like, holy smokes, this is real. So it's just like, it's tough. It's tough. You know, I fortunately wasn't impacted by the Boston Marathon bombing personally within my inner circle of friends and family. But a ton of people were. Absolute ton of people were. So, as glorious and as exciting as today is, just take a second. Like I said on Monday with Dwayne Haskins things, rest in peace. Take a second, reach out to your friends and family, your loved ones, the ones you care about the most, and just let them know how much they how much you love them and how much you they mean to you. But the Red Sox are currently I know it's it's way too early to be looking at the standings. They're three and three right now, half a game out of first place. Not that that matters because everybody's within like two games or whatever. But after starting the Bronx one and two, and then you're able to get two of uh, two of three from Detroit, it's promising to see that you're back at 500. You know, going into opening day weekend because it's going to be important this early stretch in the season, as you cannot take anything for granted. Where you're playing against the Twins, the Blue Jays. The Rays, the Jays again. So it's like April's going to be a tough month, and you got the Orioles at the end of the month. It's going to be a tough first month. And that first month, you and everybody else is going to be wrinkling out the creases of what this 2022 team is going to look like. What can we do? What can we do? Where are we strong at? Where do we need improvements at? Every team's going to go through it. And having a tough schedule, such as opening up against the Yankees, the Twins, the Jays, the Rays, the Jays again. It can be challenging, and the Red Sox, I think their 2022 season will be uh, built upon what they do in this first month. And again, 40 to 60 months is when we'll get a much better idea of where the team, or any team really, will be at. But being Red Sox fans and being the local team, we want them to win now. <laughs> That's just kind of how it is. But I'm very excited. I can't wait to tune into the game and just enjoy 2022 season at Fenway Park. So let's transition to the Celtics because I do want to touch upon their series with the Brooklyn Nets that will start on Easter Sunday. Will start on Easter Sunday, which is a little odd. But the Nets won their 7-8 playing game, so they automatically get vaulted to play against the Celtics. I'm not going to talk about everything else. I don't care about everything else right now. I care about the Celtics and the Nets. Celtics-Nets 2-7 matchup, identical mirror to last year, except the Celtics and Nets have flipped their seeding. And a lot of people are worried. A lot of people are worried that the Reds, uh, the Red Sox, the Celtics might lose. And that's fair. That's a fair, fair assumption. I think if the Celtics can maintain home court and win both games here at the Garden, I think they'll have a significantly strong chance to beat the Nets in five, six games possibly. Now, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, and I'm not trying to be a green teamer. I'm just giving you my thoughts and opinions about it. There's been a, a report saying that Rob Williams may come back sooner than expected, that he may be back for the Brooklyn Nets series. So could we see him at a game four, a game five, a six? Seems very possible at this point. As today's April 15th, game five, if necessary, would take place on April 27th. And then, if necessary, Game 6 would take place April 29th, which is two weeks away from today. So, Rob Williams must be on pretty good pace right now to be back for that Brooklyn Nets series. 
if the series gets that far, five, six games. I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Do not rush him back. He is injury-prone as it is. He's very sensitive, but he's such a vital part to this team, both defensively and offensively. And the Nets are going to body him. They're going to push him around. They got some big guys too, Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan. So it's going to be tough. Oh, and LaMarcus Aldridge. It's going to be tough. Oh, wait, no. I think DeAndre Jordan's... DeAndre Jordan. Isn't he with the Lakers, I thought? No, the 76ers. Okay, well, they still have LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin. Some two big guys that will still body and push around a little bit. So do you want that knee to kind of take that kind of... Uh, that kind of risk or da- or potential beating this early in his recovery? If he's fully healthy, doctors cleared him, and he's able to practice at full capacity, then absolutely. But just be careful with him, that's all. So what do I think about the Celtics-Nets series? Well, I think it's going to be a good series. I think it will at least go five, six, seven games. I don't think it will be a clean four-game sweep. I don't even think it will end in five. I'm looking at game six one way or the other. I already mentioned how important home court is, and if the Celtics can win those first two in Boston, escape with New York, escape out of New York with one of those games, maybe they can close it on game five, game six. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough. That Brooklyn Nets team is good. KD and Kyrie playing out of their minds right now. But you still have Tatum. You still have Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, potential defensive player of the year. I like my chances. I mean, I'm not going to say it's an easy win for them, but I like my chances. If I had to pick, I'm going to say Celtics in six. I think the Celtics in six is a fair assumption. Both teams are very good offensively. Celtics are clearly the better team defensively as they're like the best team in the league defensively. And if the Celtics can win those first two games, maybe one in New York, game three, game four, I could see the Celtics winning in game six. That's just my opinion. Do you feel as confident as I do in the Celtics? Let me know in the comments section below if you're listening to this on YouTube or reach out to me via social media at Murph's Car Town. Let me know if you feel as confident as I do. And yes, you could say, Murph, you weren't confident about this team at all. You were waiting for more consistency and you didn't want to buy in. And you're right. And you're absolutely right. I don't want to buy in because I'm afraid that, hey, you had this fantastic three and a half months you were able to go from like the 11 seed all the way up to the two seed okay show me that it was all for nothing i'm rooting for the celtics i want them to win and i think they'll win i will buy in and i will emotionally and spiritually invest in this team if they beat the nets here in this first round because i said it time and time and time and time and time and time again that we've seen this before, and then they lose in the first round. Look at last year. Look at, and you know, Dane all the way all the way back to the Isaiah Thomas years. But that was fun, though. We didn't expect to do anything until you know you get Jalen Brown and Tatum. So, I will invest emotionally and spiritually. When and if I should say if they beat the Nets in the first round. Because I was not going to put my heart and soul into this team for them to just lose in the first round. No matter what seed they were. The second seed, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth seed, or whatever seed. And if they were the seventh or eighth seed, an absolute fail. So let's see. 
Let's see if the Celtics can pony up. And if they do, I will sit here talking about how the Celtics completely changed their season around. They proved all the Celtics haters wrong. They proved me wrong for not believing in them earlier, but hindsight's 2020. For me not buying into this team earlier, hindsight 2020. And I'm looking forward to the series. Again, first game is Sunday, Easter Sunday at 3.30 p.m. in Boston. Game 2 will follow up with Monday, uh, Wednesday, April 20th at 7 p.m. Both of those games are in Boston, and we won't have a game in New York until Saturday. But let's not jump ahead all too far. But let's do pivot and talk about the NFL mock draft that I have assembled here for today's episode. And I finished this yesterday. I finished this mock draft yesterday, and I'm really pleased with it. I like it a lot. Obviously, it's not going to be perfect. I don't know if any mock draft has ever, ever been perfect. But I do want to go over my whole mock draft for you, starting with number one, Jacksonville Jaguars taking Aiden Hutchinson, edge rusher from, from Michigan. Number two, Detroit Lions, Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. Texans at three will take Trayvon Walker, defensive lineman from Georgia. The New York Jets with their first pick here in the top 10, taking Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge rusher from Oregon. And to wrap the top five, I have the Giants with their second, uh, their first pick in the top 10, excuse me, taking Iki Ikonwu, the offensive tackle from North Carolina State. That is my top five as it currently sits. I did change it up a bit. I had Evan Neal in the top five going to the Giants. He's all the way down. I'll get to him in a little bit later. Hutchinson is the new number one. Hamilton jumps to two. Thibodeau comes all the way up to four. Trayvon Walker all the way up to three. And Iki Okonwu drops from one to five. So a little bit of change, actually a lot of bit of change in the top five here. And I could see this being accurate. I do see the Jaguars taking Aiden Hutchinson, best player in the draft. Kyle Hamilton and Trayvon Walker could flip-flop at 2-3. I would not be surprised if Kyle Hamilton drops to maybe like 5, 6, 7, that kind of range. But, I mean, he's a fantastic player. He's the best defensive back, you know, being a safety that there is in this draft. I still have the Carolina Panthers at 6, taking Malik Willis, the quarterback, out of Liberty. I don't know how confident I feel with that pick. I just feel like they're going to try to get ahead of the Falcons and Seahawks and taking what they believe is the best quarterback on the board. Is it the smartest thing to do? Absolutely not. The New York Giants take Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher from Florida State. The Atlanta Falcons take Drake London, the wide receiver from USC. Seattle Seahawks take Evan Neal from Alabama, the offensive tackle. I had him going five, and now he's dropped down to ten. Very big change right there. I know he's been, uh, I'm sorry, he's fallen all the way down to nine. I know he's had a little bit of struggle, but he's still this, arguably the best def- offensive tackle in this draft. And the Giants possibly or probably will have that pick between Ikonwu and Evan Neal at five. And I absolutely see the Giants taking somebody at five with that second pick at seven. I don't see them trading up. I don't see them. They could trade down, I guess, from seven. Get who they really want at seven, uh, five. No one in particular at seven. You know, Maybe they fall back a little bit. Grab some more assets. Again, when you have two picks in the first round, it's not a bad idea. Definitely not a bad idea. 
And then I have the New York Jets taking Garrett Wilson, the wide receiver from Ohio State. That is going to wrap up the top 10 here in my mock draft 2.0. Sauce Gardner falls from 4 to 11 going to the Washington Commanders. I'm a little lower on him than a lot of people are. I know some mocks I saw out there had him going in the late teens and then obviously top 5, top 10. Washington could absolutely use a cornerback, a defensive back of some sort. They'll have their choice between Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU, who I actually have going to the Minnesota Vikings. Flip-flop those if you wish. Commanders taking the better of the two. Could we see a team like the Jets take them? Absolutely. Or take one of them. Could we see Seattle take one of them? Absolutely. But I think 11-12 is a good spot for both Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley. Again, Commanders will have their choice between one of the two, so you could easily flip-flop those, and I won't have a problem. But then at 13, I have Trent McDuffie going to the Houston Texans, the cornerback from Washington. So I have three cornerbacks going in a row, 11-12-13. I could see a team jumping up to 13. Now, again, the Texans have two picks in the first round. They got three and 13. So I could see a team from the late teens, early 20s, trying to jump and get ahead of the Eagles, the Saints, the Chargers, Eagles, Saints, and taking Trent McDuffie at 13, especially if they need a cornerback, and especially if Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley go 11 and 12, you don't want to fear out and lose on Trent McDuffie at 13 if the Texans do take him, which I have them being mocked and taking them, because those three are probably only three cornerbacks that should be going here in the first round. I do have another cornerback going in the first round. I'll get to that later on. But if you're a team and you're like, oh, smoke, Sauce Gardner and Derek Stanley are both gone. Let's try to move up so we can get one of these guys before them two are off the board. If Derek Stanley, Sauce Gardner, or Trent McDuffie, if any of those two out of three are at 13 Texans, I don't see a team moving up because I see the Ravens, or I have the mock taking Tyler Lindbaum, the center out of Iowa. Uh, Philadelphia Eagles at 15, taking Jordan Davis, defensive tackle from Georgia. The Saints at 16, taking Trevor Penning, the tackle from Northern Iowa. Chargers taking Bernard Raymond, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan. Philadelphia Eagles taking Nicobe Dean, the inside linebacker from Georgia. And I just don't see a cornerback going there. And then I have the Saints taking Jamison Williams, the wide receiver, out of Alabama. I'll get into that in just a second, but I do want to finish my discussion about the cornerback situation I could absolutely see the Eagles or the Saints at 15-16 taking a cornerback I could absolutely see the Eagles taking a cornerback at 18 if they pass on one at 15 and I could also see the Saints grabbing a cornerback at 19 if they too pass on one at 16 so if two out of the three cornerbacks are still there at 13 I don't know if a team will move up because the uh, the Texans may take one. They may not. And that's going to leave at least one or two here remaining. So it's it's tricky. It's really tricky. The Ravens or the Saints, I don't see them taking one. I'm sorry, the Ravens and Chargers, I don't see taking a cornerback. So could a team like the Bengals that need one trade up? Maybe, but that's, I feel like it's going to be way too much of a stretch for them just to take a cornerback, which, I mean was clearly their biggest weakness in the playoffs this past year, clearly evident in the Super Bowl. Do you want to mortgage the future, though, to get a Trent McDuffie? 
or a sauce gardener, maybe. So look out in the early, or just look out in the whole teens, right? <laughs> From 11 to 19, be very vigilant about that section of the draft. Jamison Williams, I have pegged at 19 going to the Saints. They have Michael Thomas, yes, but other than that, they really don't have anybody. This year is clearly a rebuilding year for the Saints, and I think they will get their quarterback in next year's draft or maybe peruse on the market come next year. But bringing in Jamison Williams, let him take his time to heal. Then you have both Michael Thomas and Jamison Williams with the quarterback of the future for the Saints under center. I think that's a really good outlook for 2023. Obviously, you'll get Jamison Williams and Michael Thomas at some point together in 2022. But all you're at that point missing is the quarterback. And I think 2023 is what they're shooting for in terms of their short rebuild. Steelers still taking Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, out of Pittsburgh. I know a lot of people are high on him. Me, personally, I am not. But again, that is my own opinion. Could I see Pickett going to the Carolina Panthers at 6? Yes. I just don't think it's happening. I think Malik Willis is better of the two. And I think the Panthers will take the better of the two quarterbacks. Could they think that Pickett's better? Sure. Could I see Pickett going to 6 and Malik Willis dropping to 20? Yes. With Jamison Williams off the board to the Saints at 19, I have the Patriots taking a linebacker in Devin Lloyd, the linebacker out of Utah. Clearly a, a need for the Patriots, wide receiver, linebacker, arguably D-line, cornerback for sure. If uh, Trent McDuffie, a Derek Stingley, who I've heard might fall even further in the draft, is there at 21, I'd rather see them go that route than Devin Lloyd. But Devin Lloyd is here on my big board at 21. There's also, where is he? Um, oh, N'Kobe Dean I have going to the Eagles. And in my draft notes, I do have the Patriots. I even say it. Patriots could pass on receiver at 21 and go with linebacker and Devin Lloyd. Could take N'Kobe Dean if available at 21. Say the Eagles take Devin Lloyd instead. Then I could see that void in my mock draft being filled by N'Kobe Dean for the Patriots at 21. The Packers taking Chris Olave, the wide receiver from Ohio State, filling in that void of Devontae Adams, even though they just signed Sammy Watkins. He's no Devontae Adams, clearly. Chris Olave has a significantly higher ceiling than Sammy Watkins. I bet Chris Olave's floor is Sammy Watkins' ceiling at this point. And then the pick right after them, I do have the Cardinals taking Traylon Burks, the wide receiver out of Arkansas. If this mock draft is true, then I could see the Packers taking Traylon Burks at 22 instead, and then the Cardinals taking Chris Olave. So those two picks could easily be flip-flopped there. The Packers will just have the choice between Olavi, Burks, and Jahan Dotson. The Dallas Cowboys take Tyler Smith, the offensive tackle or guard from Tulsa. That does not change. Buffalo Bills take Daxon Hill, the safety out of Michigan. A great versatile weapon in the secondary, especially with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde on the wrong side of 30 and their contracts ending fairly soon. So bringing in a Daxon Hill-like player will give them versatility and usability now in nickel and dime sets, but it'll also give them a nice good safety for the future. Tennessee Titans still taking Zion Johnson, the guard center out of Boston College. I have Devontae Wyatt, the defensive tackle from Georgia, falling all the way down to the Buccaneers at 27. Could I see this happening? Yes, clearly it's in my mock draft. Could I see him going earlier to maybe the Patriots? Of course. Could I see Jordan Davis fall from the Eagles? and them take Wyatt at 15 or 18, of course. 
But here in my mock draft, I think Jordan Davis is better. Therefore, he's the first defensive tackle out of those two taken and the other falling all the way down to the Buccaneers at 27. 28, the second pick in the first round for the Packers. I have them taking a guard out of Texas A&M, Kenyon Johnson, to help solidify that offensive line. Protect Aaron Rodgers a little bit more because clearly he is the future of this team for the next handful of seasons. Kansas City Chiefs have 29 and 30 here in this draft. In the first one, I have them taking George Karlaftis, the edge rusher out of Purdue. And then their 30th first round pick, or the 30th overall in the first round, I have them taking Jahan Dotson, the wide receiver from Penn State. I like this pick here. Could I see them trading out of that pick or trading both of those to move up? Yes, the Chiefs have a lot of flexibility here. Same as the Packers having 22 and 28 and the Chiefs having 29 and 30. If there's a player that is significantly higher on their built big board that has fallen a little bit to late teens, could we see a package of 22 and 28 to move up? Could we see 22 or 28 in a second, third round pick to move up? Yes, the same with the Chiefs, 29 and 30 or 29 or 30 in a second and third round pick to help move up to get whoever that player is. Could I see the Chiefs also waiting to draft a wide receiver in the second or the third round, whereas that wide receiver class is so deep and them going somewhere else with 30, maybe another, uh, like a linebacker or another safety or defensive back of some sorts to help replace the void of Tyron Matthew, who is now gone? Absolutely. But Jahan Dotson at 30 seems like a logical pick for me since they did trade Tyreek Hill. So filling in that void of Tyreek Hill and just bringing in someone in to be part of the future for the Chiefs I don't think is a terrible idea. Cincinnati Bengals are taking the fourth cornerback in the first round. That's Andrew Booth, the cornerback out of Clemson, again, to help solidify and shore up that secondary. If, if one of those cornerbacks, Sauce Gardner, Derek Stingley, or Trent McDuffie, fall to, say, 21 where the Patriots are, could we see the Chiefs try to trade up to 21 with a sec giving up a second or third rounder and the Patriots moving all the way down to 30? We could absolutely see that if one of those cornerbacks does fall because the Patriots are known to trade back. They will never trade up, but they are known to trade back. And then the last pick here in the first round, I do have the Detroit Lions taking Matt Coral, the quarterback, out of Ole Miss. Again, that does not change from my First iteration of my mock draft, I think taking that quarterback at 32 is a smart choice. You get that fifth-year option. You let Coral heal and recover and rehab, all while Jared Goff is still the quarterback. Coral can learn under Goff because Goff is clearly not the quarterback of the future. He will not be, and the Detroit Lions are expected to not do as good this year, uh, You know, similar to what they, they weren't able to do last year. Am I right? So I really think that's going to be a good pick for them there at 32. I don't see them trading back. I don't see them trading up. Stay in there, take a quarterback, get that fifth-year option, go into day two with the 34th pick in the draft. So that is my full mock draft 2.0. I'm very proud of this list. i very pleased to see a lot of changes all throughout the first round, whether it's the top five, the top ten, the back end of the draft, the middle of the draft, a lot of movement has happened, and I'm really pleased with this draft. Obviously, there's going to be even more changes come mock draft 3.0, which will be out sometime next week.
However, before I do wrap up my mock draft 2.0 discussion here, I do want to go over some of my draft notes really quickly, and then we'll wrap it up. There are no projected trades in this mock draft yet again, similar to mock draft 1.0. Defensive heavy in the top five picks with the first four picks being defensive players. D-line and O-line take up almost half of the first round with 15 total picks taken on defensive line, edge, offensive tackle, guard, center players. Half the first round, just about half the first round going on the trenches. Very important positions. Not the sexiest, not the flashiest, but extremely important positions and a lot of positions of needs for teams here in the first round. The Giants have a choice of offensive tackle between uh, Evan Neal and Conwu at five. So again, I have them taking a Conwu. Could they take Neal at five? Absolutely. Either way, I see them drafting one of them at five and then using seven on D-line. Could they trade out a seven and have a team move up? Absolutely. That's also a possibility in itself. The Panthers still take Malik Willis at six, although he's projected to go later in the first round. In my opinion, I would rather see him go again in at least double digits. I just think the Panthers will just really buy into Malik Willis because they don't want to fear losing him to, like I said, the Falcons or the Seahawks, maybe even the Commanders at 11. So there's a little bit of a little bit of scare at six for the Panthers if they do end up passing on Malik Willis. Uh, Texans pass on getting Davis Mills a receiver in the first round. Sauce Gardner falls to Washington at 11, but I could also see him going before or even after 11. So that 11 is definitely not a hard, hard, you know, result for him in the draft. O-line heavy again between 14 and 17, which was the same as it was in mock draft 1.0. Patriots, oh, I'm sorry, not the Patriots. Saints draft Jameson Williams over Olave, Dotson, Burks at 19. If they do take a wide receiver at 19, they will have their choice between those four, and I could see them taking either of the four at 19, but I do have Jameson Williams pegged to the Saints. Patriots pass on a receiver at 21 and go with linebacker Devin Lloyd, which I already talked about because I think their need at middle linebacker is a very strong need and one that should not be neglected. However, I do think wide receiver will help you in the long term. I guess both positions would really help you in the long term, if I'm being honest. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do there. They will have options, but in this mock draft, I have them taken Devin Lloyd. Again, to reiterate, they could take N'Kobe Dean if he's also available at 21. But I don't think the Patriots will have their choice in Devin Lloyd or N'Kobe Dean, whoever is available out of the two. And then the Packers give Rodgers a weapon in Olave, but they could either take Burks or Dotson here. So again, with the Saints drafting Jamison Williams over Olave, Dotson, and Burks at 19. I have the Packers taking Olave at 22, but they have their choice between Olave, Burks, or Jahan Dotson. So that is going to wrap it up for my mock draft 2.0 here for the 2022 NFL draft. I really hope you enjoyed this. I indulged deeply in the whole thing. Hopefully I was able to give you enough information as you need to help you get through the week kind of conjure up your own little mock draft thoughts and you know projections as well as 3.0 will be out sometime next week and i'm very excited for that however let's sit and simmer over my mock draft 2.0 and let's talk about it in the comment section below here on youtube or we can talk about it via social media at merce car town you can find me on social media 
Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Again, that's at Murph's Cartown. But thank you so much for joining me in today's episode, episode number 136 of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I really appreciate every single person downloading, listening, and enjoying as I greatly appreciate the love and support. And again, if you're listening to this on YouTube, please make sure you smash the thumbs up button. Comment any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns down below in the comment section. And if you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to the channel. As I am so close to 250 subscribers, I can almost taste it. I currently sit at 247, and I cannot wait to be humble enough to say that I have 250 subscribers. But again, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the Celtics playoffs. Enjoy Red Sox opening day weekend and enjoy whatever kind of activities you'll be doing outside as we're projected and expected to have fantastic weather. So hopefully you are able to do so. I will catch you in the next one for episode number 137 on Monday as we will be diving into, of course, Red Sox, Celtics, maybe a little Bruins chatter. And we'll probably circle back and revisit this mock draft 2.0 as well. That is going to do it for this one. I'll catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And I will always, always see you. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.